I want to take you back for just a couple of moments this evening to that hill called Golgotha. And I want you to think about the fact that it, what happened on that hill truly changed the course of history. Changed the outcome for mankind, changed the outcome for Satan, changed the outcome for the entire world as we know it. Simply put, it changed everything because ultimately what happened on that hill is what gave us hope, isn't it? Because you and I know that what took place on that dreadful hill, without it, we understand there would be no forgiveness. Without what happened on that hill called Golgotha, we know that there would be no grace. There would be no mercy. There would be no peace, no joy. There would be no love. Simply put, there would be no salvation. There would be no point to worship, would there? There would be no point to faithfully living our lives for Jesus Christ. There would be no point to obedience. And yet we understand, as we talked about a little bit this morning, there is grace, isn't there? There is mercy. There is peace. There is justice and, and, and all of these things that God has granted to us. You and I understand that there is salvation because of what took place on that hill called Golgotha. Truly what a beautiful picture that is for us. I know that when we study the crucifixion, and I know that we have studied that here on numerous occasions before, I understand it's a subject that is difficult to talk about. I understand that it is one that is hard for us to comprehend. It's hard for us to fathom, to even try to understand, or perhaps try to compare it to anything that we understand or even know today. It's a subject that really no justice can be done when talking about it or trying to describe exactly what it is that happened. And oftentimes when we study what happened on that hill, we focus solely upon Jesus Christ. We focus solely upon what happened to him on that cross, and rightly so. That is the most important thing that took place there on that day. And yet there is for us in Luke chapter 23 a couple of other crosses that are mentioned. There are two other crosses that were there with him on that day. There was not one cross, but three crosses on that day, on that hill called Golgotha. What is there for us to learn as we examine these three crosses? They're there in, in Scripture for us. They weren't placed there just simply because uh, the Holy Spirit needed filler information to put there. There's a reason why we have the inspired words here for us to read and to study. So what is it that we can understand about these individuals and all of these crosses that were there on that hill called Golgotha. I want to look at the first cross this evening for just a moment, and we've entitled this the Cross of Rebellion. I want you to think about the cross of rebellion for just a couple of moments this evening. You know, it seems as, as we're introduced to this scenario that really at the beginning of all of this, both of these criminals were mistreating Jesus Christ. Certainly this was no shock to Jesus Christ. He had been mistreated. He had, been, uh, he, he had not been treated right by those around him during his entire ministry, but also during the entire trial process that led up to his crucifixion. He had been horribly mistreated. He had been blasphemed, all of this being illegally tried, all of it leading up to his crucifixion. And in fact, if you go back to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 44, the Bible says that even the robbers who were there crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Both of these individuals there on those crosses with Jesus Christ are seen as criminals. Both of these men seen as individuals who were a menace to society, individuals who were worthy of a death that was old only reserved for the worst of all people. The crowds didn't seem too bothered, did they, that these individuals were going to be crucified? It seemed normal. 
It seemed appropriate to them. This seemed to be what should be happening to these individuals and because they were individuals who had broken the law. Obviously, they weren't sorry for what they had done. Thus, they were receiving the consequences of their actions. And yet, in the middle of all of these things that were going on, stood a perfect and innocent and pure individual. A complete contrast. Uh, the complete opposite, a flip of the coin as it came to Jesus Christ and who he was. You remember a couple of passages, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, and then also later in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, the Bible says, because he had done no violence, talking about Jesus Christ, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Jesus was a perfect individual, our role model in this life, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, the example after which we are to follow in our lives today, and here he is wrongly being put on this cross, wrongly beaten, wrongly judged, wrongly treated, and eventually left on that hill to die. And in the middle of all of this, there is this robber, this criminal, this bad individual whose sins Jesus Christ was at that very moment bearing on his back and taking to the cross, was looking to Jesus Christ and not saying sorry not apologizing, not feeling remorse for his actions, considering even though that he was in the exact same position as Jesus Christ himself was, and yet here he is reviling and abusing, accusing and condemning the very Son of Almighty God, showing an attitude of rebellion. As we consider this criminal and the nine words that are recorded for us uh, here in Luke chapter 23, I want you to think about a couple of things. The first thing is this. I want you to think about the word doubt. When you look at his response to Jesus Christ, notice with me here, beginning in verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. If you are the Christ, if Jesus, you really are who you say that you are. If you really say that you have this power and you can prove it to us today, if you really are God, like you've been saying and teaching and preaching all of these many months that you've been here, then do something about this. What a completely opposite reaction as you compare it to what happened in Matthew chapter 16. You remember Peter there, what he said in verse 16, he said, you are the Christ the son of the living God, no question, no doubt, just a simple factual statement. Peter knew without a shadow of a doubt who Christ was. And Peter was willing to say it. He was willing to live it. He was willing to die for it. And yet we look at this criminal, someone who lacked complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ, someone who didn't live their lives in accordance with the teachings of Jesus Christ, someone who lacked any kind of belief or confidence in Jesus Christ and who he was, mockingly looking at him while they're hanging on the cross, saying, if you are the Christ, then save us. Now, I can't help but wonder throughout this whole process, particularly at this moment, where Jesus is going through this entire process. I can't help but wonder, and maybe just assume in my mind at least, that there had to have been times where Jesus was tempted to show his true power. And what I mean by that is I wonder if while he was being wrongly accused or wrongly beaten or wrongly scourged, where he's being blasphemed and being thrown all of these false accusations his way, while he's being nailed to the cross, all of these excruciatingly painful things that are happening to him, I can't help but wonder if he ever thought to just snap his fingers, to make it all go away, to make it all disappear, 
showing his true power. You remember back in the garden in Matthew chapter 26, he pleaded with his father. He said, let all of this pass from me there in verse 39. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. We sing the song sometimes where he could have called 10,000 angels. And true, we know that he could have, but who also created the angels in the first place? Jesus, showing that he had power over them, thus proving that he could have done away with all of the pain, with all of the torture, all of the hurt, the mistreatment, just simply by himself. But he didn't. I don't know how he would have done it or maybe what it would have looked like, If he were to do something about that, surely it would have been magnificent to witness if he did. But while he's there between these two criminals with both both of them blaspheming, both of them mocking him, I wonder if he was ever tempted to just maybe, in our terms, show them who he truly was. The doubt of this criminal is on full display, fueling his rebellious attitude. And sometimes I wonder about us. Sometimes I wonder about our belief in Jesus Christ or maybe the lack thereof. And I wonder if far too many times if our doubt in Jesus Christ is perhaps on display when we don't even realize that it is. Maybe there are times in our lives where we doubt in his power and perhaps we fail to believe in things like the power of prayer. Maybe there are times in our lives where we doubt his seriousness, perhaps as it pertains to judgment. And the fact that God is going to follow through with holding us accountable to our actions and to his word. Maybe we doubt his presence in our lives, and perhaps we feel alone when we shouldn't. I cannot but wonder if this thief and his doubting of Jesus, of who he was and exactly of what he was capable, I can't help but wonder if this particular thief is a little bit more relatable to us than we wish that he ever were. But then as I think about this particular thief, I also think about his misunderstanding. I also think about his misunderstanding of exactly who Jesus was. Not only is there doubt in his mind, but he had a completely skewed view of who Jesus was and why he was here in the first place. Why was Jesus Christ on earth? Why did he go to earth? Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If this criminal had just listened to Jesus, if he had heard the things and taken in the things that Jesus had been teaching for months, if he had just watched the life of Christ, and if he had simply seen the, and known of the prophecies that had been stated beforehand and seen how they were being fulfilled, then he would know, have known that this had to have happened. He would have known that Christ would have had to come to this earth, that Christ would have had to go before Pilate, that Christ would have had to have been scourged. He would have had known how he would have had to have bear that cross and to go to Golgotha and to be hung between two criminals. And yet I can't help but think that this doubt that he had in his mind fueling his misunderstanding of Jesus Christ, of who he was and what his purpose was while he was here on this earth. But then I also think about the fact that this individual was selfish. That he was selfish in his entire, uh, in all of the things that he says here and that he wants in this particular instance. As they're going to the cross, both criminals know that they themselves are deserving of this. They know that they they are are receiving uh, the, the, the things that they should receive because of their actions. You notice verse 41, and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds. They understood that this punishment was quote unquote just according to Roman law which I guess tells us a little bit about them and perhaps the severity of what they had done. You know, if the Romans wanted to kill someone, 
without making a fuss about it. There were plenty of other means to do so, and they did that when they deemed it necessary. But when it came to crucifixion, it was meant to make a scene, wasn't it? It was meant to show them who truly had the power. It was to embarrass, to humiliate the one who was being crucified, the one who had committed the crime, and it was a warning to all of those who were around. I found this quote as I was looking at things pertaining to the crucifixion. It said that it was a symbolic statement that we are Roman power and that you are just simply nothing. And so in his statement to Jesus about wanting to save them, he was being selfish because he knew that he was deserving of death. He knew that this was a just recompense for his own actions. He had doubt in his mind. He misunderstood who Jesus was. And so he just says, just save us. Just save us while you're at it. And thus we see the cross of rebellion, one that is completely opposite of the second cross that you and I see, that being the cross of repentance. The cross of repentance. You know, when I look at these two individuals, these two criminals who have both done wrong, they have both transgressed the law, two individuals who have both made decisions that surely in this moment they were regretting that they had done those things. Individuals who knew that because of their wrongdoings, it had landed them in a position where they were going to be brutally murdered, brutally put to death. And despite all of that, One of them has an attitude of rebellion that we just talked about. Jesus, if you really are the Christ, if you really are God, if you really are the Messiah, the Savior, then do something about our terrible situation and get us out of it. Save yourself and then don't forget about us. Just imagine, think about the mockery, the arrogance, the the pridefulness that it would have taken for someone in that instance to say the things that he did. But you flip the coin. And you have this other criminal, a thief just like the other, a person who, according to Roman law, was deserving of being made a spectacle just like the other, someone who was considered to not be a good person, one who was going to die just like the other, and yet unlike the other, his attitude towards Jesus, his recognition of who he was and what he had done, or perhaps rather not done, is quite remarkable. And note, not only does he defend Jesus, but he also rebukes this other criminal for what he had said. You know, I can't help but wonder, and I suppose maybe this is somewhat shameful if you think about it, but I wonder if this thief on the cross did more in this particular situation in terms of defending Jesus and rebuking the thief who was wrong. I wonder if he did more concerning that than perhaps maybe you or I would ever do if we were in that same situation. That if one of us were to hang on a cross, paying the due recompense for our our actions, hanging next to Jesus the Christ, the very Son of God, someone who we had known had done no wrong, someone who we had known had only been sharing the good news, what would we have done? What would we have said? Would we have only been concerned with ourselves and our own well-being at that particular moment? Or would we have been like this thief who had a penitent heart and who defended Jesus Christ? I think about us today and perhaps in moments where we have opportunities to defend our faith, to defend our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what do we do? Do we join in and on the mockery? Do we join in on the blaspheming of Jesus Christ and who he is? Do we fall silent? Do we not say anything? What do we do when we have opportunities placed before us to defend 
Jesus Christ. You see, this criminal didn't care what was going to be said of him, at least at this particular moment in time. He didn't care about the situation in which he was finding himself. He didn't care what was going to happen if he had said these things. He himself was going to defend Jesus Christ. He was going to defend who he was and not only defend, but then rebuke the other criminal who also spoke ill of him. He understood that he himself was deserving of their situation. Again, what did he say in verse 41? He said, we're receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But he looked at Jesus Christ and he understood that Jesus Christ didn't deserve any of this. He knew that Jesus Christ was innocent. He knew that he was pure and perfect and free from sin and any wrongdoing at all. And I hope, brothers and sisters, that when we find ourselves in situations like this, where we have an opportunity to stand up for Jesus Christ and to defend our faith in him, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, that we would take advantage of that that we would grow so bold in our confidence to defend the things in which we believe and to, in a loving and gracious way, rebuke those who speak ill of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, just like this criminal. There's a couple of things I want to observe as we look at this penitent thief, a couple, few things that I want to think about, uh, perhaps things that he himself recognized. And the first one is this. I want you to think about his recognition, first off, of who Jesus was. Again, completely opposite to the thief who had the rebellious heart, because what does he say? He says, don't you even fear God. Don't you even fear God. He had an understanding of who God was. He had an understanding of his power. He knew who Jesus was and what Jesus was capable of doing, how he was part of the Godhead and how he had come to this earth completely different to the disrespect, to the lack of belief in God that was being shown on the other side of this cross. He showed a completely humble attitude. But then he also has a recognition also of his own wrongdoing. Again, what does he say? We've read it a couple of times already. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He understood that he was being handed out consequences that were adequate for the actions that he had, com that he had committed, at least adequate under the Roman law. But essentially, he was reaping what he had sowed, and he was ready to accept that unlike the other criminal. I'm reminded of David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, chapter 12. You remember where he was approached by Nathan the prophet David, fessing up to his sinful actions, taking ownership of what he had done, and so did this thief. He didn't blame anyone else. He didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to minimize what he had done. And I think that we would do well to remember his attitude in this particular situation because I fear that we believe, I don't fear, I know, I know that we live in a take no responsibility kind of society, don't we? We live amongst people where you cannot tell anyone that they are wrong. We live in a society where you are labeled as hateful, as bigoted, and as woefully biased. If you were to ever disagree with someone, thus opening the door for you and I or for anybody, to live and breathe however it is that they want with no regard about being responsible for your own actions. Our society would do well to learn this lesson from this particular thief. But then also, there's a recognition not only of Jesus and who he was, but also of his own innocence. What did he say about Jesus Christ? He said, this man has done nothing wrong. He knew that Jesus hadn't done anything against the law, he knew that Jesus was perfect in nature, that he was not deserving of being in this position that he was. He knew that Jesus should not have been there, even though he himself should have been. 
And he recognized that. He understood that and all of that led to him, or rather to us, perhaps having a recognition of his own faith. We need to recognize his faith. What does he say to Jesus? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Even when facing death, even when facing circumstances that he didn't want to be facing, facing a hostile crowd, he was willing to show a penitent heart and a penitent attitude. This cross of repentance. You see, he knew that he had done wrong. He knew that he was deserving of death. He knew that he was where he was supposed to be. And yet he turns to the Savior and he, what does he say? Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, I've done wrong. I know that I have sinned, but please, please don't forget about me. I think his heart is something that we should all strive to replicate as it comes to our lives. In fact, I hope that perhaps in this way, we become more like the thief on the cross. Not only in our defense of Jesus Christ, not only in our rebuke of those who are going to mock Jesus Christ, but also in our hearts, that they would be of a penitent nature, realizing the wrong and doing all that there is necessary to fix it. But then number three, as we think about these crosses, the third cross and the most important cross being the cross of redemption. The cross of redemption. You know, throughout time, people have always died. People die every single day. In fact, in 2020, there were some 3.2 million deaths registered in the United States alone. Death is something that happens and that will happen to every single person, save those who are alive when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. First Corinthians 15 talks all about that. But when we think about these individuals who do die, they die just like these criminals died. You and I will die just like these criminals, not in that we will die in the same form and the same fashion, and certainly we can be thankful for that. But what I mean by that is this, it is the fact that either you are going to die with one of these two hearts. You're either going to die with a heart of rebellion, or you're going to die with a heart of repentance. You see, that first criminal didn't realize what he had right there in front of him, did he? The first criminal didn't understand the opportunity that was placed before him as he was hanging on his cross next to Jesus. He squandered a unique opportunity, an opportunity to gaze upon not the cross of rebellion, not even the cross of repentance, but upon this cross of redemption, an opportunity for this thief to get his life right, to confess Christ and to perhaps make a 180 degree turn as his life is ending and yet because of his rebellious heart, he dies in sin. Because of his pride, because of his arrogance, because of his unwillingness to see Jesus for who he was and what Jesus was capable of doing, he lost his soul. But then on the other hand, you have the criminal who defended Jesus and who humbled himself. A criminal who, just like the other, was in a position because of his own actions, perhaps deserving of what was happening to him, and yet realizing what an opportunity it was that he had before him. Recognizing Jesus and his power, becoming penitent on this earth, and there's there's all kinds of discussions about his salvation and the means of it, uh, and certainly it's pertinent. We're not going to get into that. That's a discussion for another time. But I want to focus on this third cross here for just a moment. The most important of these three crosses, that being the cross of redemption. That third cross, that middle cross, the cross of Calvary, the one with pure innocence hanging upon it, giving every single person hope in this life. You know, the first cross had a man who died in sin. 
The second cross had a man who died to sin, but that third cross had on it a man who died for sin. Redemption, the idea of being saved, the idea of being redeemed despite the wrongdoing in our lives. You know, Jesus Christ was willing and ready to forgive both of these criminals, and yet only one of them took advantage of what was before him. Only one of these individuals saw the opportunity of salvation before him, understanding the pertinent nature of his situation, understanding that he was there because of his own sins, and also understanding that Christ was there for nothing of his own doing. This criminal had a full realization of Jesus Christ, of the very Son of God who was able to redeem him, and what a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. And I suppose it leaves for us a question what kind of cross are we hanging on in our lives? What kind of cross are we hanging on in our lives? Obviously, it cannot be the middle cross that has been reserved for Jesus Christ and him alone, that of redemption. But what about the others? Are you and I hanging on perhaps the cross of rebellion? Maybe in our lives, in a couple of scenarios, perhaps for those of us who are not Christians, maybe we're hanging on this cross of rebellion because we don't want to submit our lives to Jesus Christ. Maybe we don't want to submit our lives to his word because we understand that it means we can't live for ourselves and we can't live the way that we want to live our lives. Well, perhaps maybe the cross of rebellion is, is pertinent to you in that maybe you are a Christian, but maybe you're rebelling in your life after having given your life over to Jesus Christ. Maybe there's something in your life that you have done, perhaps in a rebellious manner and in a rebellious way, with a rebellious heart, and you don't want to come back to Jesus Christ. Is that the cross you're hanging on this evening? Or maybe you're hanging on this cross of repentance. Again, in two scenarios. Maybe you are hanging on this cross, perhaps as someone who has not yet given your life over to Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't yet submitted your life to him through baptism, but because you're on this cross of repentance, you understand what you must do in order to gain that redemption that was on that middle cross. Perhaps you're here tonight, and maybe that's the case for you. Maybe you want to give your life over to Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to give your life over to him and live for him through your submission to his will and submitting yourself through baptism like we talked about this morning. Maybe hanging on that cross of repentance, you've come to a realization that your life's not right. Living your life for the world, living your life for yourself, and you want to change that and you want to give your life over to him through baptism. Know that we can do that this evening. Or maybe in the second place, perhaps you are a Christian, but maybe you need to hang on that cross of repentance again for something that you've done in your life. Maybe your life's not right. Perhaps there's something amiss in your life that has separated you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's the case tonight, if you have a need, won't you come? It's together we stand and as we sing an invitation song. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.